Hello, and welcome to Color Journey, Jibbanon's most colorful podcast series. In each episode, we take you on a quest to find the perfect color from nature's palette. As we journey through the supply chain from agronomy and science and technology to market insights, you'll discover what's behind our clean label, high-performance natural color solutions for creating delightful food experiences. Today, we'll be discussing some of the most frequently asked questions we receive about natural colors. These questions are often related to the general definition of a natural color, the different types, and the various advantages that each of these coloring tools can deliver to your food or beverage experience. Today, we are joined by two of our Sense Color experts, Fabian Bukabsa, who is our Senior NPV Manager for the Americas, and Andrew Kendrick, who is our Senior Manager for Regional NPV for the Europe, APAC, and SEMIA. So let's get started off with the basics. How exactly do you define a natural color? Thanks, Eve, and that's a great question. From a European perspective, there's no legal definition of a natural color, although there is within the regulatory framework for a natural flavor. This is often a common misconception with new technologists and marketeers who come into this fascinating area of food ingredients. The overall concept is still valid, and resonates with customers within the natural food space who are demanding free from labels and have an ever-increasing thirst for ingredients whose source they can both understand and recognise. The first rule of claims is always not to mislead consumers, and for this reason the knowledge of an experience is key in providing the correct information. In the case of Europe, we are members of NatCol, which is the Natural Colour Trade Association, and since its inception in 1979, has been at the forefront of understanding and interpreting the regulatory space around natural colours. We adhere to their position on the definition and classification of natural colours. And key is the occurrence of nature of the source material and the manufacturing process employed that does not modify the chemical nature of the colouring principle. Fabienne, is there anything from the US side to add? Yes, Andrew. The absence of definition of a term natural for colors is also applicable in many regions outside Europe, and especially in the US, where it is not authorized to make a natural claim for colors. Although, on the other hand, we can make such a claim for natural flavors. So every year, we see several lawsuits in the US following these natural claims. And the FDA has been challenged to come up with a clear definition. There was a call for data around seven years ago, and the FDA has also conducted several studies to come up with a definition. However, we are still waiting on the outcome. The exception, though, in NOAM is Canada, where there is actually a definition for natural. Also, under Canada's guideline, common names may be used when juices are used as colors. However, consumers are very aware of the difference between the synthetic FDNC and the naturally sourced colors, and more and more are looking for products that are claiming no artificial colors. So really, what we've seen in the U.S. for the last 5 to 10 years is a significant change towards more natural colors. Okay, wow. So it sounds like there really is no easy way to define a natural color. In the absence of a universal definition, what kind of legal concepts and classifications do exist? And which ones do we offer as part of our sense color offering? Here in the U.S., natural colors typically comply with the color exam from certification in the Code of Federal Regulation. These generally include colors derived from plants or mineral sources, as opposed to the FDNC colors that are synthetically manufactured and have to be batch certified. 
The synthetic dye industry is often arguing that the FDNC are much more controlled than natural source color. However, the regulation for the colors exempt from certification must also comply with the identity and purity specification and use limitation as defined in that regulation. We also have coloring foods, which are defined by the industry in EU market as foods with coloring properties, with the primary purpose of imparting colors to food and drinks. These are obtained from edible sources materials and not subjective to any selective extraction, which differentiate them from the food color additive we just talked about. From a regulatory point of view, they are foodstuff. So our natural color food additives are obtained from natural sources like beetroot, black carrot, red cabbage seeds, or even algae sources to deliver a wide range of color to cover an extended palette of shades. All our color additives meet the purity and identity criteria established by the different regulatory frameworks. They follow the strict rules of certain extraction solvents, parameters, and final contaminant checks. So even though they are not batch certified, they certainly follow some really strict rules. Great. So in your opinion, as food scientists and NPD experts, are there any technical advantages to choosing coloring foods over color additives or vice versa? Well, Eve. The choice to either use a natural color with an additive status, the so-called E-number colors, or a coloring food, is often down to a discussion between the technical, marketing, and regulatory voices within a project team. The final region of sale will define the color toolkit, but this is not always obvious with centralized R&D centers supporting multiple territories. The marketing voice might have a preference for a coloring food, but with the regulatory input following a deep dive into the local country's regulatory situation will allow the technical team to propose various options. Colouring foods are generally more limited in shade and stability, with less options to add supporting ingredients such as antioxidants. In additive colours such as carotenoids, it's possible to add a range of synergistic antioxidants, such as those based on vitamin C, vitamin E, and or botanical extracts such as rosemary. By choosing well the antioxidant regime, the colour can be protected within the concentrated form of sold, the final foods manufacturing process, the 9 to 12 months supermarket storage, and further processing and preparation by the final end consumer at home. Throughout this development process, communication is really key, so all voices are heard and the best colouring system selected, because a clean label colours no good if it fades on the supermarket shelf. That's correct, Andrew. And although we know that, unfortunately, some manufacturers may sometimes see unwanted colour change in their product whilst on the market shelves. Uh, this is often the case for the carotene colour beverage you mentioned, where it's important to select the best colour formulation. Beta-carotene is a colour additive. Uh, with an E-number, exempt from certification in the US, and it can and must be formulated with the addition of emulsifiers to make it water-dispersible and stable in beverages. The choice of the emulsifier and the whole formulation and process are really the key criteria to ensure successful stability whilst in a finished beverage. So like you mentioned, Andrew, carotenoids need the addition of antioxidants for stability, and this can only be achieved in the case of color additives. Cleaner labels, yellow, can be achieved with some source of vegetables, such as carrot or pumpkin, but they will not provide the transparency that we can achieve with natural source of beta-carotene formulation. So this can be one limitation for the coloring foods. 
In the US, although the coloring food category does not exist as such, these would fall under the category of fruit and vegetable extracts. But in the end, all additives providing color will need to be labeled and specified for color use in order not to misguide the consumer, which is a fair point. In the end, in the US, a clean label concept is often associated with easy-to-recognize ingredients, some the consumer would find in their pantries to cook with. Great. So I understand that browns and particularly caramel colors fall into a number of different classes. Could you talk more about these and how they are classified? Caramels are formed by a relatively simple process of the controlled heating of carbohydrates, forming much larger molecules with deep, dark colors that are the result of caramelization reactions. In simple words, we are cooking carbohydrates. These are the same type of reactions that naturally take place when baking bread, cakes or roasting coffee, or simply making caramel at home. Caramel colours are classed into four different types depending on the catalyst that are used during the manufacturing process, class one to class four. And the processes confer special properties to make them suitable for certain applications. For instance, class three or beer caramel will have the same colloidal charge as the proteins of the malted barley, otherwise they'd attract each other precipitate and causing haziness in the beer. Fabienne, what's the situation in the US? In the US, it's a bit different. All four classes of caramel must be labeled caramel, color added. So yes, as opposed to the market in the US, there is no differentiation on the label for the class of caramel. Now, historically, class three and four caramels have been preferred for their stability, costing use and, not pro- and providing the darker shades. But the trend towards minimal processing and simpler labels have shifted interest in transitioning to class 1. This is why we have created a class 1 caramel called Flex that can better bridge this gap, delivering splendid dark shade with unique hues and the necessary stability to succeed in a wide range of applications. So I would assume that that would mean the labeling requirements will be different for each market. Is that correct? Yes, if that's correct. In Europe, you would have to mention the color accepted name. For example, for caramel class one, you would have to uh, say plain caramel or by its number E150A, while in the US, you would just have to label it as caramel. Or even you could just choose the more discreet phrase, color added. That's really interesting. And in fact, caramels are such an important topic and such a strong area of expertise for sense color uh, that we may go into further detail on a future episode. But for now, we recommend that listeners go to the Learning Center on the DDW website by clicking Learn in the top navigation to find out more about these topics and many others. As we wrap up this episode, I'd like to thank Fabian and Andrew for being on us with the show today. And if you'd like to better understand how Jivadon can help you choose the best natural colors to achieve not only the right product experience, but also the right label, be sure to get in touch. Please join us again soon for another episode of Color Journey.